Welcome to a special emergency edition of Allocation Disorder. I am your host, Sam Stasekold, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but we wanted to we wanted to hop on and record something after the big news of the day, um, today being Monday, uh, and FC Dallas after a rash of positive tests for COVID-19 in their camp in the MLS bubble in Orlando has been withdrawn by the league from the MLS's back tournament. Now, this is still kind of a developing story, so there's a lot of things that we still need to figure out in terms of the fallout and what this means for the actual competition and for Dallas and the rest of the regular season, if there is one. Um, but we wanted to hop on and record, um, do kind of a shorter version. We're going to have our full podcast later, later in the week on Friday coming out as usual. But Paul, um, first, what do you make of this FCD out of the tournament? I think it was an inevitability. Um, you know, when you have a team that has 11 positives within the traveling delegation, multiple positives before arriving, players who have been quarantined in their room for several days and haven't been training and haven't been preparing for games, it would become very difficult to justify putting those players on the field and trying to ask them to compete at a high level um, for a product that people are going to be watching nationwide. How can you convince the audience or the fans of FC Dallas that that team is competing um, in a fair environment. They wouldn't have been. And, um, you know, I, I think there there was every reason for them to be pulled out of this tournament. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we've talked to people that talk, you know, it's difficult for players who are quarantined there as well. It's not easy for the players who, um, who haven't tested positive and are alone in their hotel rooms and aren't training uh, mentally. That's taxing on those players. So, this was this to me was kind of the 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 right choice. It was the obvious choice, and you know it 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 took some time for for MLS to get there. I think they were kind of I don't think they were holding out hope that they could find a solution that involved Dallas playing, but it, it just became too obvious. Yeah, I think you used the word inevitable at the beginning of your mm-hmm. of your take, and I totally agree with that. It's just. It became too tough, and it got to a certain point. You know, the league had postponed Dallas's first match, which was supposed to be on Thursday, July 9th, against Vancouver. They had already postponed that to after July 15th. Um, but when you get to the point when guys haven't trained for, geez, up close to a week probably at this point, um, they're going to need time to get back online, asking them to go out and play three days in the span of seven, eight days, whatever it would have been, um, is just a brutal, brutal ask uh, on and then you talk about the 10 players that have tested positive and wouldn't even been playing at all. So, yeah, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. It remains to be seen what exactly this means for Group B, which is the group that Dallas was in, along with Vancouver and Seattle and San Jose. Um, we don't yet know if MLS is going to maybe move a team. You know, Group A has six teams. You could theoretically move one of them in there. But then you have five teams in Group A, and that doesn't really work out. Um, maybe they just leave three in Group B and have them each play two games. Who knows exactly what they'll do? Um, but, you know, they still have to figure out that solution. So we'll see. Um, another thing that they have to potentially figure out, they being the league, is what's going on with Nashville SC. Um, so, Paul, we wrote tonight, and I think this was first tweeted by 
what's the name of the Twitter account exactly? The MLS COVID Cup Insider. Yeah, uh, like this that. this new Twitter account that's popped up and seems to be run by by players inside the bubble anonymously. I think they were the first ones to tweet it, but sources confirmed it to us that five Nashville players have been confirmed as positive since the team arrived in Orlando on Friday, and another three um, have tested positive. Once um, those results came down today and, you know, if they test positive in the follow up, they'll be confirmed as positive, too. So that'd be a total of eight players. Um, So not a great scene for Nashville either. And, you know, if that grows beyond eight, maybe the league takes some action there, too. Um, They are in Group A. They are one of those teams in Group A, you know, from a straight up competition standpoint. And this is obviously not an outcome that anyone wants on any level. But 24 teams is a lot easier to organize than 25. So um, we'll see how that goes. Nashville is supposed to open play on Wednesday night, on opening night, um, in the second game of the tournament against Chicago. Um, We've had sources tell us that, you know, that game is almost assured to be moved. Um, You know, Nashville hasn't trained since last Tuesday. So, you know, they're not going to be out there playing in two days. It's pretty safe to say. Um, So we'll see. This tournament's pretty fluid right now. I don't think in an existential way. Uh, I think it's going to, at the very least, start on Wednesday night with Orlando and Miami playing. But it's fluid in terms of what exactly it's going to look like. Um, The final teams are supposed to arrive in the bubble. You know, we're recording at 10 p.m. Eastern here. They're probably going to arrive pretty soon. Um, The final five teams all traveled to Orlando today. Um, So everyone will be in there and... Then we'll see how it goes, I guess. But but kind of what's the overall take from you on, on kind of the prospects for the tournament and where things stand and what you think is going to happen? Well, I think it's very clear, um, you know, after today with Don Garber making the rounds at ESPN and the AP, talking about how they feel like Dallas proves that things are working as designed in the bubble because the Dallas players tested positive upon arrival, some of them and others um, that continued to train, then tested positive after that. And after they realized there was an outbreak happening, they moved those Dallas players into quarantine. And, you know, that is the design of the bubble is to try to prevent the, there to be spread within the bubble. And so far that has occurred. So looking at those answers and hearing that discussion as that this is kind of a, a proof of theory and not as a negative, I think it's quite clear that this tournament's going to happen. It's going to start on time at the very least, and, and it's going to move forward. I don't see a scenario outside of proof of spread within the bubble that will cause this tournament to not occur. So if all of these teams arriving late today um, have positive tests over the next few days, I think those players will be quarantined. You know, the, the teams will go back to training and the games will occur as scheduled. Um, you know, maybe we'll see some movement of games as we have with what with Dallas and Nashville. But, you know, I don't know that we're going to see MLS and the commissioner end things based on either outbreaks within a team uh, or individual tests within multiple teams. The only way this tournament doesn't happen is if there's spread within the bubble. And in order to know that, we basically would have to start seeing positives from teams that have been in the bubble, you know, beyond that that five to seven day incubation period when either symptoms first start showing or players who are asymptomatic start to test positive. 
Right. And we wrote about this today at length. Um, and, and I agree with your, with your stance. I mean, Garber came out and said it basically. I think the exact quote is, is in the event that we have an outbreak of the virus amongst our teams, then we'll make the decision to not go forward with the tournament. But until that time, me and our clubs and the, and the league leadership are very focused on going forward with a very close eye on the safety of the players. So, you know, unless, like you said, unless there's community spread, um, which we can't confirm right now, you know, you and I have both talked to medical experts and doctors, um, and they're sort of of the opinion right now that it seems like all of the cases so far have been brought into the bubble from various home markets. Um, it's not a situation where, you know, a Dallas player is effect- is infecting a Columbus player who's infecting um, a Nashville player, at least among the known positives so far. That may have happened for all that we know, and those people might not have even tested positive yet, and that's important. You know, you mentioned that five to seven day incubation period, right? And that's kind of what we're looking at here. And I'm really curious to see what some of these teams who are coming into Orlando recently from kind of, you know, cities that are having some spikes, the LA teams, Houston, right? Um, what they, if they start to test positive at any point after their arrival and, you know, if those t- positive tests come in, say like, like happened with Columbus, uh, three or four days into their time in Orlando, well, that's a few training sessions in, right? So say they have one positive test three, four days in, that player has been training with his teammates for those past three or four days. Has he passed it on? Um, And then you kind of extrapolate that out further. And do you arrive at a situation where maybe somebody doesn't test positive until a weekend, right? And at the back end of that five to seven day range, and have they played a game? And have they spread it to another team? And that's one way a community spread could happen. Um, Another way, of course, would be for a worker who's coming and going from Central Florida to bring it into the bubble. Um, So those are kind of two of the main ways it could happen. And if that happens, then they're in real trouble um, in a lot of different ways. And I I feel like the health aspect of all this is kind of getting minimized a little bit. Um, I've heard, and I think you've heard too, Paul, that uh, several of the Dallas players are symptomatic and some of them are, are like pretty sick. Um, so I don't want to minimize that aspect of this, that, you know, even though, yes, these are young and healthy and fit professional athletes, there are real health concerns here. Um, and this is a real sickness that they're dealing with. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Um, I, I do agree with you that unless there's that community spread, I don't think, I don't think that this thing is going to get shut down. And for all we know, right. This could be the worst of it right now. Um, I hope that's the case. Um, Because if that's the case, then everyone stays healthy and you have a solid 24 or 25 team tournament um, and everyone can resume the season and and good things will be happening. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. That's that's kind of my general feelings. Um, But like I said, really, really interested in these late arrivals, particularly the two L.A. teams in Houston. And I want to I want to also note because I think it's important to note that part of the reason that this problem exists it goes back to the negotiations that occurred between the the league and the players and there was a lot of back and forth about the timeline and among other things and I think that first of all we should remember that the tone of these negotiations was a very um, combative one it wasn't one of working together there wasn't a feeling of trust between the players and the league I don't I don't think there definitely was not great communication. Between the league and the players, we know for a fact that the players learned about some ideas of the tournament through Jeff Reuter 
Jeff Reuters reporting for The Athletic, um, you know, and, and other reports that we put out. So, you know, keeping that in mind, you know, the original plan for the league that we reported at The Athletic was to have teams show up and train for two weeks before games. And that the initial week, I believe, of those trainings were supposed to be individual trainings before full team training began. And I think it's clear now that the league would have benefited from that larger training window. Now, in addition to that longer training window, they also originally planned to have more games in a longer period, which would have created a much longer period of time for the players to be in Orlando. And when they decided to scale down the amount of time that the teams would be there, you know, one of the areas that they really cut down was the training. There are probably multiple reasons for that. I don't think it's fair just to say it was only about the timing, right? If you're going to lose chunks of time, the easier place to cut without cutting money is the training period, right? Because you're, now you're losing fewer games um, and you're, you're still providing a, a package to your partners um, that has as, as much as a content as possible. But I, I think it's worth noting that you know, the league's original design would have had a long enough window ahead of games to at least give more breathing room between the end of that incubation period and the start of competition. And that's exactly what the NBA is doing in Orlando, right? I think teams are in the NBA have, have started to arrive in Florida as of today, and they'll continue to arrive, I'm sure, over the next few days. And they're not tipping off until the end of July. So there's plenty of time for them to resume training. Um, and there's plenty of time here at the front end to take three or four days or more and kind of lock it down in hotel rooms and see if anyone's testing positive and have, make sure that those people were isolated and remain isolated and don't spread it to anyone else in their team. Um, that's what MLS was not able to do. Paul, I think, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, that, that was the league's original plan. Um, the players didn't want to go for that. Um, and then in the final, final plan that ended up being approved, you know, the league didn't force that. Um, and I think it's pretty clear to me that because of that decision, right, which which I think falls on both the players and the league. I'm not trying to play one, you know, one party's at fault. Yeah, there's here. no blame. But, there's no yeah. specific blame. Well, yeah, or out. you can blame both, right? right. Like I, I think both both share this, right? Um, but I think the fact that there isn't that initial airlock, there's not that initial quarantine upon arrival in Orlando, basically means that this whole thing is a big roll of the dice, you know. And, man, like, that's kind of crazy to say because you're talking about people's health and people's well-being. And, sure, like I said earlier, like, most of these guys are, are young and fit and healthy, but not everyone there is a player and not everyone there is young and not everyone there is fit. Uh, and even some of the players have, you know, pre-existing conditions or, or, or things that make them a little bit more vulnerable. So, you know, not having that quarantine, it's easy now to say in hindsight, um, for us especially. And, and I'll say it, I'm pretty sure I said it on the show when they were talking about that eight to 10 week period. I think I said, that's way too long. You know, this is something the players aren't going to go for because it's too long. And I was sympathetic to that and understanding of that and didn't really understand the, the airlock or quarantine portion at the beginning and how important that was. Um, and now in hindsight, it seems, you know, it seems like it could, I mean, it certainly derailed Dallas's tournament or played a role in derailing their tournament. Um, it might do the same to Nashville and it might do the same to MLS as a whole um, at some point down the road. And I think it's worth saying too that, you know, we quoted um, Dr. Rebecca Katz, who's the director of the Center of for Global Health Science and Security at Georgetown University, 
uh, Georgetown University Medical Center in saying that there is no perfect solution. You know, when you talked about it being a roll of the dice, you know, there is this is about risk reduction. Um, there was never going to be a scenario where there is absolutely zero risk. Um, of, of we, In fact, the league anticipated that there would be some positives, right? Um, but what we've seen is that the that maybe there is a little bit of a greater risk than anyone anticipated, in part because you are still dependent on testing a, a virus of which there is not as much understanding and of which there is this incubation period where that minimum, you know, that five to seven day window, which, by the way, you may test positive after that five to seven day window. Um, that window could be up to two weeks. Sure. Um, so, you know, th- there is that factor. And I think also we have to re- recognize that there is some responsibility. Um, you know, obviously, there's risks in our daily lives in these markets. And, you know, what players are doing in those final days before leaving um, some things are inevitable that you can't avoid. You go to a grocery store, right. you you go out um, to get gas, or you do something, and you you maybe you just have walk your dog, whatever. Yeah, you may have just the wrong moment, the wrong place, wrong time. You know, maybe there are other reasons besides that, but it makes it very difficult to ensure that a player is not going to get it in market and bring it in. And we've now seen that um, across three different teams. And, you know, what are we up to now with, with the five and three of Nashville? That's eight, you know, presumed, five confirmed, you know, eight presumed, plus one in Columbus is nine and t- 19 players, 20 personnel who have tested positive after arriving in Orlando. So, you know, there, that, that just proves that while you can reduce the risk somewhat, you can't reduce it all the way. And you're kind of holding your breath and hoping that there's no more. And you're hoping that, hey, Hopefully that Columbus player didn't spread it at training in the day or two before he tested positive. You know, hopefully this player didn't spread it at dinner, uh, you know, in the facility. And you, there's no way to know that for sure until you get out of that window, that incubation period. And, and that's kind of where this tournament is going to be for some time. And it's probably going to change the way some people watch this tournament. You know, certainly it'll be on my mind watching games. And the hope is that, you know that that spread within the bubble just doesn't happen and 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 we can kind of enjoy competition once it begins but right now we understand that that risk is there and it'll probably be there for a couple weeks just based on the timeline absolutely um a few other things that i wanted to mention before we wrap up here um Dr. Katz, you know, to your point about risk, Paul, she sort of said all of these solutions, it's a little bit like layering pieces of Swiss cheese on top of each other, right? Like one isn't perfect, a mask isn't perfect, social distancing isn't perfect, testing isn't perfect. Um, But if you layer them all together, hopefully you're able to reduce the risk in a way that makes whatever event or workplace you're trying to open um, suitable. Um, I did want to mention the testing as well. There have been problems with these tests that MLS is using. Um, A lot of MLS is using a company called Bioreference Labs um, for their tests in Orlando and for the final tests that teams are taking, the final two tests that teams are taking in their own markets before they travel down to Florida. Um, We've seen a decent amount of teams, um, Colorado being one, and, you know, we reported this and the club subsequently announced it after the fact. Um, but you know, they had two positives come back on Sunday from bioreference labs. Um, 
follow-up testing, which they did, from what I'm told, with a local company in Colorado that they had been using and had no record of false positives, uh, came back negative. So they had pushed back their flight originally to Tuesday. When those tests came back negative, they decided to go on Monday. The two players who they believe have the false positive are still hanging back in Colorado. Um, if they test negative again a second consecutive time, they'll join the rest of the team in Orlando. Um, but that's been an issue for more more teams than one. I believe Vancouver actually had a very, very similar situation play out when they initially tried to travel down last week. Um, so the testing has not been super reliable from bioreference. Um, that's a complaint I've heard from yeah. different teams, Nash- different players. Nashville had a false um, positive in market. Minnesota had a false yeah, positive I believe, in I believe Orlando. it was reported D- DC had one as well. Um, so that's an issue too. Um, and, and something that, that certainly bears mentioning. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is, you know, MLS is still confident in its bubble. Um, and the players from what they've been saying publicly, they seem pretty safe down there. And I was talking to a few guys like just, just chatting, um, earlier today, in fact, and this was players, this was staff members. And, and they were saying, you know, like down here, it feels pretty safe. Like, it's kind of like this weird paranoid energy where when you see people from other teams, you kind of like go to the other side of like whatever room you're in, if it's a big ballroom and you kind of wave from all the way across, but you don't want to get too close to anyone. But the point was that they feel relatively safe in the bubble. And if teams aren't bringing this with them, then I think MLS is in a pretty good spot. Um, But teams have brought it with them. And if that spreads, as we outlined that it might, that's where things will get tricky. So that's what to watch out for. That's what to keep in mind. Um, I don't want to go too long. So Paul, Paul, you have anything else to say before we close here? No, I mean, I think we tried to cover everything that we could in this in, the, in this emergency pod, and you know, hope we'll be back with a pod later this week as well to go more in depth. And I'm sure news will keep unfolding. But you know, I think the main takeaway yeah, for me is just ends. just that you know, this is a story that's going to continue um, throughout the tournament, and we're going to have to talk about it and pay attention to it just as much as we talk and pay attention to the results on the field. And that's just the reality, I think, of the world we live in right now, and and the role COVID has in it. No doubt. Um, Our first ever emergency podcast in the books. Uh, I am Sam Stasekel. He is Paul Tenorio. This has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later in the week with a full show. Until then, enjoy the week. Be safe.